Praise God. It's such a joy to be back teaching uh, again from the book of Revelation. We have reached chapter 18, and that's so amazing. So shall we begin with a prayer? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, we thank you and praise you, God, for your good, your mercy, and love endures forever. Thank you, Jesus, for the season of learning from the book of Revelation, O Master, it's impossible without you. It's you who teaches, who guides, who makes it very clear, gives understanding and wisdom. And thank you, Lord, that as we are going through this chapter of 18, it is you who's revealing the truth to your children who are listening. We anoint every ear that is hearing this word. We anoint every heart that they'll be able to receive the word of God and transform their lives and become your children. We commit this time into your loving care, guidance, and protection. We make this prayer in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise God. So, let's, let's get going. So, we are in chapter 18. That's fantastic. So we go to verse 1. This entire chapter of Babylon, sorry, the fall of Babylon, chapter 18, has got 24 verses. And this can be, you know, uh, when you read the whole chapter, you can divide this into three parts, from verse 1 to 9. So verse 1 to 8, then verse 9 to 20, and then verse 21 to 24. So they follow that pattern kind of. So let's begin. So after this, so this what we learned in uh, chapter 17 was about the great whore and the beast and spoke in detail about that. So you can go back if you have not heard the uh, teaching on chapter 17, then 18 will be difficult to understand. So uh, you can, uh, you know, go back. If you have not heard it, please go back to chapter 17, hear that first, and then come to this chapter 18. And verse one says, after this, after what you saw in chapter 17, I saw, that is John saw, another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his splendor. So John sees another angel. This is not uh, those seven angels that we saw who were carrying those bowls of wrath and uh, we were discussing about them in chapter 16 and 17, but this is another angel. And he says this angel is mighty angel. So some of the commentators believe that this angel was, uh, you know, Jesus Christ himself. Uh, because uh, Jesus is depicted to be the light of the world. Uh, you know, in the book of John, chapter 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, talks about Jesus being the light of the world. So many of them think that this mighty angel could be Jesus Christ. It's just a thought. Uh, but... Uh, from what it is written over here in the Bible, it doesn't look like it is Jesus Christ. It's most probably an uh, uh, angel that is mightier than the other seven angels. And this angel had, you know, few characteristics, like he had great authority. It was seen, like, you know, the appearance of the angel. When you looked at the angel, you could feel the presence of, you know, he was carrying an aura of authority. And the earth was made bright with his splendor. So the moment he, you know, appeared in the heaven, the earth became brighter. You know, it just spread light. And the second verse says, he called out with a mighty voice. So this angel, this mighty angel is calling out with a mighty voice. And what is he saying? He says in verse 2, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. It has become a dwelling place of demons a haunt of every foul spirit, a haunt, a haunt of every foul bird, a haunt of every foul and hateful beast. This exactly same words can be seen in the book of Amos. Amos the prophet, 
Old Testament prophet has written this in chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. So uh, I'll read that for you. Is Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation. Fallen no more to rise is maiden Israel, forsaken on her land with no one to raise her up. So this is fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. So Babylon the Great, I told you in the book of Revelation chapter 11 that, you know, it is compared to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah, we say uh, prophetically, we know, and this, it goes further and says that chapter 11, uh, verse 8, and the dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that is prophetically called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. So we came to the conclusion that uh, the city that they're talking about, which is compared prophetically to Sodom and to Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified is none other than Jerusalem. So this is the place. And the same thing, even prophet Amos is speaking about in the Old Testament. He's saying that follow no more to rise is made in Israel, forsaken on a land with no one, to raise her up because it was in Jerusalem that God's temple was present. It was the uh, chosen people, the chosen nation. God's temple was uh, made in Jerusalem. The second temple of uh, which was built by Solomon was there. The first temple was built by Solomon. The second temple, that Solomon's temple was destroyed and the second temple was, uh, was uh, uh, you know, built and it's into that temple that Jesus goes and stands and proclaims the word. I have been teaching about that to you in detail in uh, the last few chapters. And, you know, spoke to you about uh, a judgment that has already happened and a, a revelation that is, uh, that is a futuristic revelation that is going to happen to separate things. And John was given, you know, the vision. And this very clearly is talking about the time of the destruction of the second temple, you know. So this particular place, which was first the residence of God himself. Now, the, you know, the, you know about the sacrilege that uh, took place, you know, the desolating sacrilege in Matthew chapter 24. So we read that 24 verse 15. That So when you see the desolating sacrilege standing in the holy place as was spoken of by the prophet Daniel, let the, leader, uh, let the reader understand. So, you know, I have explained even about desolating sacrilege in the book of Daniel and told that, you know, in the temple, the Holy of Holies, is the presence of God and the Roman, the pagan Roman emperors come in there, they take away the presence of God and they put a statue of their emperor there to say that he is the king and everyone needs to worship this king. And that is a desolating sacrilege. So this temple, which was first the, yeah, the, the place, the dwelling of God himself, now it's not the dwelling place of God. It has now become a den of the enemy and the evil one. So every foul thing is now present over there. And he says it has become the dwelling place of demons. A haunt of every foul spirit, foul bird, and foul, hateful beast. So it is not only, only the, uh, the main demon sitting there like Satan, but along with him is his company of all the evil, evil spirits. They have taken hold of this, this temple. So before the temple gets destroyed, this is the sequence of events which happened before the destruction of the temple. So the entire city now, you know, this angel is crying out, is saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. It is talking about the city of Jerusalem. And verse 3, for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxury. And this is describing the, uh, you know, uh, is, uh, Jerusalem or Israel had the chosen, uh, uh, were the chosen people belonging to God. But the, uh, as, uh, you know, the years gone by, they have left the true God and now they have gone and made uh, allegiance with foreign uh, pagan kingdoms and started worshipping the foreign pagan gods. And so the relationships, they have left the true God and now they are 
in the company of all evil doers so that is the entire thing so, and the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxury means in every area economic political in every scenario this country this nation is now completely doing everything evil and now she is doing evil so she is also co-partner with the other nations and they are also partaking of her evil so like it's like evil uh, people all of them join together and they are all doing you know big time everything that is against god's kingdom so when they say that you're drunk of the wine of the wrath of a fornication so what comes to her will also in a way affect all the other nations that she has formed allegiance with like egypt like sodom and all, all those countries that she joined hands with you know but the pagan roman and later on the rome itself you know though it was uh, they were friends first but rome again you know the emperor goes against her and destroys her so that learned in the previous chapter so all these nations around her along with her now they are all become pagan she was supposed to be the light of the world leading people from you know who don't know the true god to the true god but she did exactly opposite jerusalem the uh, it received the messiah but refused to recognize the messiah and not only that he crucified the messiah and they got them crucified by the pagan roman emperor okay so the first three verses are all talking about you know the angel the great angel coming and telling that this that this babylon is fallen and then we see that now the place that the uh, which was holy is no longer holy the there is a desolating sacrilege has happened over there and now the whole nations around israel and israel and the nation that is party with all our evil doers was for then i heard another voice from heaven saying come out of her my people so that you do not take part in her sins and so that you do not share in her plagues so this is taken in context in context with the destruction of the second temple in matthew chapter 24 verses 16 17 18 you know after you read about the desolating sacrilege the following words are this then those in judea must flee to the mountains someone on the house top must not go down to take what is in the house someone in the field must not turn back to get a coat so jesus is telling the people like when you hear when you see those signs happening you know when you hear all those things happening please that means the destruction of jerusalem is at hand so if you are in judea just flee just leave jerusalem and run away this is speaking a call to all the believers to all the christians who were there in jerusalem that flee from jerusalem run away from jerusalem because jerusalem is going to be destroyed in very soon so even if you are on the rooftop don't go down go don't go down to your house and search for what are the most important things i left behind let me carry you know it with me when you see the signs you just need to flee you need to just run like you know when tsunami hit like in india some years before so you could see all this destruction and how you know people were running helter skelter they didn't even have time to you know go to the house and even pick up anything that was precious to them and if by chance they entered in and you know most probably they would have been uh, you know killed in the process so in a similar way in a bigger destruction there is no time for you to think that you can come inside your house also and pick up anything so if you see those signs and the signs will be very very clear so jesus is saying those in judea must flee to the mountains someone on the house top must not go down to take what is in the house so just run someone in the field must not even turn back to get a coat means the moment you see the signs just leave and run because jerusalem is going to be destroyed and this happened exactly in ad 69 to ad 70 and the christians they fled from the city of jerusalem so that is the meaning of come out of her my people it's like calling all the people who believe in christ the christians to come out of this city so that you are not part of her sins and you do not share in her 
plagues. If people stayed back over there, they would also face the wrath of God. So it is a call given. And then we know this, uh, like history speaks that how the Romans came in and destroyed that city. And uh, we come to verse uh, 5. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities, render to her as she herself has rendered, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double draught for her in the cup she mixed. I have read verse 5 and 6. Both are meaning is the same. Her sins are heaped high as heaven. In sins, the, the things that they did wrong in Jerusalem, like if they could be piled up, it would be looking like it would reach up to heaven. Means so great and, you know, was immense was the evil that was prevalent over there. If you uh, look from the time that, uh, you know, of uh, uh, when Jesus was there, you, you heard about the Pharisees, you heard about the Sadducees, you heard about the high priest and the kind of uh, double life that they lived that, you know, they would put so much of burden on the people, but they wouldn't carry even a single straw. It was all for the people. They would wear, you know, you know, they would deck themselves up from top to bottom, and they would, you know, walk on, walk on the, you know, in the roads or in the, in the, pub, in the public places or in in their synagogues, and they would lift their hands up, and it would all be a show off, an external show off. But the hearts were far from God. They're far, far from God. Though they looked like. They were you know, tithing even, you know, one-tenth of every rye, which is, you know, the smallest, uh, uh, you know, of all that is used for cooking. They, you know, but, and they were very particular about all those following the law in the word, but not in the spirit, you know. So they're just doing this as externally. And God is so angry with that, you know. And this is a great uh, teaching even for us. It's not only for the people who lived at that particular point of time. There are many, many, many Christians, you know, who are like uh, flaunting, flaunting uh, their wealth or flaunting their, uh, uh, how much they, you know, are, uh, you know, beloved to God and how much of uh, power, authority and everything that they have. But see, if you're doing it for his kingdom, for building God's kingdom, then great, it's fine. But if it is to build the personal kingdom, to build your own family, build your own kingdom, and the same wrath, God is not going to be, you know, uh, gentle. His judgment or his wrath will fall. So our call is not to be a Pharisee or Sadducees. And, to, you know, though they were the God's chosen people, chosen nation, and they thought nothing would touch them because, you know, they had the feeling that we are the, you know, people who are set apart. But in letter, in the truth, their heart was far from God. So God is not concerned with all the external things that people do, uh, you know, to show themselves as Christians. It is your heart condition. How are you inside? How was your relationship with God? How was your relationship with the people? How do you treat them? How do you love them? Do you walk in love? Do you walk in forgiveness? Are you humble? Are you gentle? Are you sharing what you have? You know, all those things, little minute details are matters so much to God. And he knows every, every, every desire of our heart, every thought that crosses our mind, he knows it all. So there's no way that you can or I can or anyone can cheat him or, you know, get away from him. So we need to keep ourselves like that. Our heart needs to be, to be our heart needs to be truly Christian by nature. We should not be like uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees and all those who proclaimed, uh, you know, that uh, big and mighty things for the people to see and to be, you know, uh, acclaimed by the people. But for us, you know, the acclamation should come from God himself, quietly, gently to do what God has called us to do. Amen. So, and God has remembered her iniquities does not mean that God forgot you know, I explained that in the meaning when the word remembered comes means now is a time. Okay. He's given a long rope. He's allowed them, you know, you know, to fall down, to come back, to fall down, to come down. But now he says, now is the, they need to reap the harvest for what they have done, you know. And very specifically, he says that render to her as she herself has rendered means give her 
what she has given others. She has treated others with disdain. She has treated others with hate. She has not been humble to her the people who, in her family. She's not been humble to the uh, to the guests or to the sojourners who came into her land. She didn't treat them uh, fairly. So he says, and repay her double for her deeds. So what she has done, like when we say, when you do something good, you like double for your trouble, we say, right? So that is for a good thing. You have gone through some problems, some difficulties, some challenges, but then you are, you know, you reap a double harvest. The same thing if you take in the negative sense also, if you sow some evil, then the harvest also will be double. It's not going to be, okay, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. Probably is an eye, it'll be kill the whole person. It's not an eye for an eye. So it's going to be, you know, both the eyes probably, so the double, double for the harvest. So the, he says very specifically, repay her double for her deeds and mix a double draught for her in the cup she mixed. In the cup she mixed is that wine, that is that uh, polluted wine which she gave to everyone. That's the polluted wine signifies uh, uh, her relationship with pagan gods. She's polluted, she, uh, she has polluted what God had blessed her with. God had blessed her with the true and the pure wine. Now she has mixed it with the, by worshipping pagan gods. So the wine that she's having with her is a polluted wine. And God is saying now she'll be getting double draught for her. Give it to her. Like the punishment to her would be double. Then verse 7. As she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, so give her a like measure of torment and grief. She has lived in, you know, in a kind of like a palace with all the best things that the earthly kingdom could give her. She has lived without consideration of any or anyone or any other nation. I know she's lived a completely um, wealthy and prosperous life. And so give her a measure of torment and grief. So let her experience torment is not just pain. It is like torture and grief. Grief you get is when the loss of, you know, someone very dear to, uh, dear to us. What we feel is grief. So he says, give Jerusalem, a, a, give a measure of torture and give her you no know, grief. Since in her heart, she says, and why God is so angry with her because, you know, angry with Jerusalem, because in her heart, she says, I rule as a queen. I am no widow and I will never see grief. You know, look at the heart condition of this, uh, of this, uh, of this woman that depicted as Jerusalem saying that I rule as a queen. I am no widow and I will never see grief. The same verse words can be seen in Isaiah chapter 47 verses 7 and 8. It's a humiliation of Babylon. And you said, is talking about Babylon. Isaiah is talking this and is telling that Babylon, you said, I shall be a mistress forever so that you did not lay these things to hear or remember their end. Now therefore, hear this, you lover of pleasure who sit securely who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me, I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. The same thing Isaiah is talking to, which, you know, which kingdom? The kingdom of the Babylon, which was the, you know, the pagan nation, King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel goes into that pagan nation, and he's telling, you know, Isaiah is telling about Babylon, that Babylon, you thought, that you would, you know, you are secure forever, that you will always be a king and that there will be no one besides you. Even King Nebuchadnezzar made a statue of himself and made everyone worship him. And he should, uh, and like uh, a city is always uh, told as a she, not as a he. So it says that I shall not sit as a widow. Is a widow means who's lost everything, you know. So widowed, widows don't uh, have any rights. They don't wear jewels. They cannot uh, take part in so many of the rites and rituals. So they are set aside. So the city of Babylon is saying, it's never going to happen to me. I will always be the queen. And I will never experience the loss of my children. Means means the people who are there, who are worshipping me and everyone will always be there. I am the queen and I have a kingdom of people who are worshipping me. And this is talking about the pagan God, you know. And Isaiah is talking and saying, no, God is going to visit you and you will be punished. 
So just as once God punished the pagan Babylon, God is now punishing Jerusalem. It is a spiritual Babylon who has denied Christ. And we read about that, the great war that is Babylon. So it is how God punished pagan Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, like of the, of the Old Testament. Now his punishment is coming upon the spiritual Babylon. And this spiritual Babylon is the city of Jerusalem. Okay. Therefore, her plagues will come in a single day. Pestilence and mourning and famine. And she will be burned with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who judges her. It's all going to happen right away in a day. Rome, Romans came, they sacked the city, they destroyed Jerusalem and even burnt it down. This is similar to the next verse of Isaiah 47.9. I spoke before was Isaiah 47 verse 8. So now uh, 7 and 8. So now the verse 9 I will read. Now both these things shall come upon you in a moment, in a day. We read even in, uh, you know, that uh, uh, chapter 18 verse 8. Therefore her plagues will come in a single day. Same thing is written in Isaiah 47.9. He says, both these things shall come upon you in a moment, in one day. The loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. So God is, you know, in Isaiah, you know, he was telling to the Babylon, don't think you will be a queen forever. Now God is going to punish you and in a day, means in a moment. It's not going to be a long, you know, uh, you know, over so many years. The punishment is going to be sudden and in a day, like you will become that from what you were a queen, you will now become a widow. You will have no children and you will experience torment and grief. And the same thing is speaking about here to the spiritual Babylon that is Jerusalem. And you, we know the, in, by history that she was burnt with fire and the Lord's revenge or wrath fell upon Jerusalem. So we are done with the first part. Now we come to the second part that's from verses 9 to 20. And the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. If you've gone to a funeral, you must have heard a lot of people weeping and wailing, you know. Weeping is crying, wailing. I don't know, maybe if you hear a dog wailing, you will realize how that sounds. So now it's uh, speaking that the kings of the earth, all the nations who were co-partners with Jerusalem in crime, the evil partners, all of them now are weeping and they are wailing. It's not only crying, feeling sad, they're literally wailing. And verse 10 says that they will stand far off in fear of a torment and say, Alas, alas, the great city, Babylon, the mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. You know, they will stand far off. Have you seen that when, you know, things go wrong, when everything is going good and, you know, the, suppose a person has a lot of money and everything is going on good, he will have lots of friends and parties and everything is going good. But the moment... The money is gone and some sickness comes and you can see how all the friends will just disappear. And if destruction comes upon this particular person, the same friends who were so thick and never leaving this particular person's side, now they stand far away. Same way now when Jerusalem had so many of them, all of them doing the wrong thing and partners in crime, but when she is being, you know, they can see the wrath of God falling upon her, none of these kings or the nations are coming close. They're all screaming, they're crying, they're wailing, but they're standing far off. They're not close to her. They're scared that if they come close, they too will, you know, get burnt in that. Nobody, you know, people want to be, you know, close to people where everything is going good. But when the ship is sinking, there's hardly anyone who will want to come and stand there. Why? Nobody wants to go down with the sinking ship. It's just like that. So if, uh, you know, this is a teaching even for us, like... Uh, we need to be careful of the friends we choose. If we have chosen people or if people have chosen us because of our wealth and our position and for everything, we should remember that the moment this wealth and everything disappears, even those friends will disappear. You will not even see them going away. The same thing happens even to, you know, Jerusalem that all these nations who were with her, 
Now they're all far away. They're wailing and they're crying. But no one is there saying, okay, let me also get burnt with you. Let me also get destroyed with you. There was no one there. They were all far away and from far away they are crying. Alas, alas, the great city, you know, Babylon, the mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the verse 11 is an entire list of, you know, catalog kind of stuff, like the things that you need, uh, you, uh, the catalog of items or goods. So let's read it. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their car cargo anymore. Verse 12, cargo of gold, silver, jewels and pearl, fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet, all kinds of scented wood, all articles of ivory, all articles of costly wood, bronze, iron and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, olive oil, choice flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, slaves and human lives. There's an entire catalog of goods, you know, merchandise, uh, cattle, even human beings and slaves and pearls and everything. So Jerusalem was so rich. Is there proof that Jerusalem was so rich? Yes, Jerusalem was so rich and there is proof. There, is, there are, you know, scholars, many scholars who have uh, uh, written about the uh, amount of wealth that Jerusalem had, you know, kind of amassed over the years because it was situated in between three continents and it was in the trading routes of many of the, you know, countries which were rich like Egypt, Africa, Babylon, Persia, China, Arabia, Europe, Palestine. You know, it's awfully rich nation, Jerusalem. And it did business with all these cities. Like they were like, uh, uh, you know, they were having trade with all these cities. And there are even uh, proof, the scholars have written about records of more than 118 articles or like, you know, items being imported from foreign lands. You know? So Jerusalem was importing all these items from the foreign land to her country, that they were using these countries, you know. That's why the merchants of the earth weep and mourn. Because once Jerusalem, you know, was destroyed, the economy of all of these nations are affected because there's no one is going to buy their goods. They're making so that they have trade, so that they would sell it and Jerusalem would buy it, you know. So Jerusalem was, you know, their uh, source of wealth, of power, of receiving money. And now this country is being burnt. So all the merchants of the earth are weeping and they mourn for her, you know. So there is a great, what you call, it is not only a political uh, uh, mourning. We also have that there is an economic mourning or economic shutdown. If you see in uh, in this the lockdown that you had, there's loss of jobs, a lot of, uh, you know, no businesses happening. There's no import, no export. People are not getting paid. So now you multiply that into big scale, you know. So that is what happened because an entire city is now destroyed. So all the countries who are doing business with the city, they are in a great loss. So there is talk about in a political because as a, as a nation it is destroyed and now even the economic fallout that uh, affected all the nations around Jerusalem. Okay, verse 14. The fruit for which your soul longs has gone from you and all your dainties and your splendor are lost to you, never to be found again. Like why would someone, you know, do uh, those things so that you would amass great wealth? You would, you would see gold, you would see silver, you will see, you know, everything lined up in your treasury. So he's saying, see, the fruit for which you longed for, what your soul was longing for, doing evil, amassing wealth, amassing things which is not yours, which you have ill-gotten. Now it's all gone. It's no use. It's all burned. It's become ashes. All your dainties, dainties means delicacies, and your splendor are lost to you. What is the point in having you know, gold and silver and this and that? Now you are lying waste. Nothing can come to your rescue. What you were dreaming of doing, of dreaming of amassing, of getting, now everything is over. It's gone. This is like same like how, you know, Jesus, when he teaches, he teaches in parables about a man who has a great barn and he is, you know, uh, earning and putting things into the barn. And then when he is getting so much, he's blessed. 
He's not thinking about giving it to others. He's thinking, okay, let me build a bigger barn. So when I bring a bigger barn, I can store more of all the wheat and grain. He's only thinking about himself. And Jesus is saying, poor man, he does not know that probably tonight his soul will be asked for him. So what is the use of that barn? What is, it's going to profit him nothing. This guy who's lost his soul because he lived only for himself. In the same way, Jerusalem was not thinking about God, thinking about the covenant that, you know, Jerusalem had with God. But he's thinking now with the pagan gods. Now I've got wealth. I've got pleasure. I've got every evil thing that I require. I don't have to do anything good. I don't need God. But now she's stripped naked, lying bare. And all that wealth that she, you know, received stands uh, as useless, as nothing. So they're crying about that. Then 15, the merchants of these wares who gain wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. This is the same like what I spoke to you in verse 10. For in one hour, sorry, verse 16, alas, alas, a great city clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in one hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. So this is exactly the same Repetition of what we read about in verse 10. And all shipmasters and uh, seafarers, sailors, and all those who trade, whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. So this is saying that even the you know uh, shipmasters and seafarers, means those who do business through the sea. Now Jerusalem did not have a seaport of her own, but uh, close by, but far away. She was. She had a. She had a seaport, and she was part of the Mediterranean Sea trade. And this involved Carthage, Greece, and you know Italy. And so, because basically it was a Mediterranean nation, so she Jerusalem also was doing trade not only through land but also through sea. So before we are talking about merchants of the earth, we're crying. Now he, we have even the people who are doing, you know, trade via the sea through the, the uh, shipmasters and seafarers. They are also crying that Jerusalem is burning. And they also are crying from far off. And they are saying, what city was like the great city? And, you know, they go a step ahead in mourning like, you know, 19. And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and moaned, crying out, alas, alas, the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid waste. The words are self-explanatory, it's very simple. They're saying, the, uh, you know, this uh, city also did trade via sea with all these nations, Carthage, Greece, and Italy, and all those people also now, their businesses have gone down because the city has been burnt. So it's very simple to understand over here, the first part we uh, read about, you know, verses one to, uh, you know, one to nine, one to eight about how the angel is proclaiming that the, the Babylon is fallen, and then we, the next we hear about all the co-partners of uh, this uh, Babylon or uh, the city Jerusalem of how they are all crying because Babylon, uh, because Babylon or Jerusalem has been destroyed, and this includes all the merchants on the earth, including the people who are even doing trade through the sea. And uh, here there is mourning and lamentation, but in uh, uh, chapter 20 we hear, Rejoice over her, O heaven, you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. The only people who are rejoicing, you know, this, uh, this destruction happening, these people are all crying, Jerusalem is burned, people are all mourning, her friends in earth and sea are all mourning, you know, the angel is saying, like, rejoice over her, O heaven. So all the heavenly beings and all the people who have been killed, all the saints and apostles at this city of Jerusalem killed, those who were martyred because they, they belonged to Christ, they followed Christ, they were Christians. All those who were killed are in heaven. And now God is saying, judgment has been given for you against her. It means you have been vindicated. The time has come that the wrong, what they did against you, now they are punished for that. Then we come to verse 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, With such violence, Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down and will be found 
no more. Then a mighty angel. Most probably it is the same mighty angel that we read in verse 1 because the word mighty is used. And this mighty angel now is doing what? He takes up a stone like a great millstone and he threw it into the sea saying, with such great violence, Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down and will be found no more. Where do we hear the word, uh, you know, this uh, Millstone. You know, remember when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he said, it's better to have a millstone tied around the neck and drowned rather than have them tempt a little one of mine. You know, he's saying millstone. It's, uh, I'll explain what is a millstone like in the grinding machine. A grinding mill, he says, like you take it, put it around the person's neck and throw him into the sea. So that, you know, you can't even, you know, it is so heavy that even if the person knows swimming, cannot rise up and help himself. He will drown and he will stay drowned. He said it's better to do that than to, you know, that the person would even tempt one little children of God that or lead astray anyone or any child of God. It's better that person is tied a millstone around and thrown into the sea, you know. So here we have not a person, we have an entire city or Babylon that is going to be thrown down. And this city is, you know, being thrown down because it has not led one person to sin. Jesus said that it is better to throw a millstone around a person for, you know, the punishment of taking a child away from God. He says a whole city, imagine, has to be now thrown you know, what, what you call it, say, uh, you know, into the, uh, into the sea. The entire city has to be thrown into the city because this city has not led one or two people. It has led nations away from serving the true God, you know. And uh, the same thing we can read in the book of Exodus. We can read in the book of Nehemiah. And in that context, they are uh, written is in the song of Moses in Exodus. You know, he reads about how the Egyptians, when, they, uh, when the Israelites are crossing the Red Sea, they go through on dry ground. And then when the Egyptians come chasing after them, how the sea just comes and covers them up. And, uh, you know, they, all the Egyptians, they sink into the depths of the Red Sea. Even in the book of Nehemiah, the same thing with the same words is given over here. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 11. And you divided the sea before them so that they passed on dry land. But you threw their pursuers into the depths like a stone into mighty waters. So we see the casting of Egyptians and the gods, uh, you know, the, the gods enemies as a stone into waters. It's like something very similar of how God is going to punish, how he punished the Egyptians. Like uh, they became just like, you know, if you take a stone and throw it into the water, can you even find out where the stone went? You will not even, uh, you know, can search it out. He says, that would be like, there would be no even sign. Like once the sea covered the Egyptians, no one could see. There was a mighty army actually. The people were so scared. If you uh, know the story of, uh, you know, of the crossing of the Red Sea and how God took them across. The people were so scared to see this huge army of people standing there. And how God opened and when these people go through. But when the Egyptians came in and the sea covered them, no one could see. There was no sign of an enemy even being present, you could, there was no, you know, symbol of uh, destruction. Nothing could be seen. They were all destroyed without even us, you know, anything left behind to show or as a sign that such an army existed. It just disappeared, finished over. He says that kind of judgment will fall upon the present day, you know, the war of, you know, the war like Babylon or the present, or the time of Jerusalem, which was in, you know, the doing with the uh, destruction of the second temple. And I told you in last uh, chapter in detail, what does that decipher for futuristic revelation? It's not only the uh, Jerusalem that, that you see, but everyone who rejects the word of God will be that. So the one word that stands over here is a little confusing, you will think is, will be found no more. What do you mean by found no more? We can still see Jerusalem standing, right? It is still there in the map. People go on, you know, people go on these Holy Land trips. 
They go to Jerusalem. It's still there. So what do you mean by that it will exist no more? Here it is speaking spiritually, not geographically. It means that whatever the Jerusalem stood for, it was that one which had the divine covenant with God. You know, it was the city that was set apart. It was a holy nation. It was also in this land that Jesus was, you know, born. He was uh, crucified in this land. The sepulcher was there. The temple was built over there. Solomon built the temple over there. Even it was here in Mount Moriah that, you know, uh, Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac. It's David who, you know, uh, this place. This place is known for, you know, everything that God wanted good. And it was a significant uh, place, the, the most important place, if you would think, according to the Old Testament, because of the covenant that God had made with this nation. But now, but now, that covenant relationship has gone. It is gone. It's over. So the essence of that nation is gone. So in that sense, geographically, the, the city still exists. But the covenant relationship or the spirituality in it is gone. The redemptive power that was there before because of the presence of the temple no longer is there. So that, that's why it says that with such violence, Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down and will be found no more. Will be found no more means you will not see here what was expected to be there. It doesn't mean that the city is not there. The city still stands. Not like Sodom and Gomorrah, which was completely destroyed in the Old Testament. That there was nothing left of that. There's nothing that can be seen even till date. If they go to the place geographically also, it's a land full of dry and sulfur. It's, it's a desolate land. But Jerusalem still exists. And God is speaking this spiritually, that no longer like the... Life of that place is gone. The essence, the soul of the place is not there. It's missing because they themselves rejected the Messiah. They broke the covenant with God. They turned from being the virginal bride of Christ to become a harlot, you know, going after other pagan gods, you know. So that is the meaning of that. And because of that, there are five things which we'll read in verse from 22 to 20. Uh, three. These are the five things that will be found missing in, in Jerusalem. The first thing is verse 22. And the sound of harpist and minstrels and of flautist and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. So this is uh, referring to the liturgical music that is uh, attributed to King David with the uh, with the temple of Jerusalem. You know, the most of the uh, chapters uh, in the book of Psalm is written by King David himself. He used to write down, you know, the, uh, the words and he would compose the music. And he also was known to play the harp. Remember the time when uh, King Saul was disturbed and he called David and David came and played music with his harp that was so soothing that King Saul went to sleep. So uh, David would love uh, to praise and worship God. And he had music. And he was, you know, this music that would flow in the, in the temple. You know, so it was a, a time that they would give to God of praise and worship to God, of telling about the glory of God, of everything good that God did for them, of all the things that he has done for them, of how from the time of creation, of how he's protected them, taken them, cared for them, even when they did wrong, how he brought them out. The Psalms are so beautiful. And it is part of even our every mass that we go to in the Catholic Church. You can see how Psalms are so integral to the entire worship. We, for every mass, we read from the book of Psalms. You know, so the Psalms was written by King David himself, you know. And the instruments that they used in the temple there were the harps, were the minstrels and the flautist. And the trumpeters, now who was using these trumpeters? They, was, they were, the trumpets were blown by the Levite priest. And the sound of that was, you know, it was blown for particular occasions. And by that, the people would know, you know, the holy days. They also would know that there's a time of sacrifice. And the liturgical calendar, you know, everything that changes the time, the trumpet would be blown. So they're saying that everything is over. Now, there is no temple in Jerusalem. So there will be 
The sounds of harpist, minstrels, flautists, and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. So in Jerusalem, no one can hear any praise and worship song that is in the temple. And an artisan of any trade will be found in you no more. Now, what do you mean by this? This is a artisan means people who are craftspeople. They are referring to people who built the Ark of the Covenant. They built the tabernacle and later on also built the actual temple. They're not just simple craftsmen or just uh, workers who just knew how to do the job. But these are people, if you read Exodus 31, these are the people who were anointed by the Holy Spirit to accomplish the task that God had given them to do. That, you know, they are getting anointing of the Holy Spirit so they'll become skilled craftspeople. They're just not any ordinary people, you know. They are the ones who built the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle and the temple of God. So this... Now the temple is not there. So it's saying, and an art, artisan of any trade will be found in you no more. So they're not going to be found. And the sound of millstone will be heard in you no more. The third thing, the sound of millstone will be heard in you no more. Because, you know, the, actually the temple, the second temple was, uh, you know, the, the site that where it was built was actually a threshing floor. Now, what's a threshing floor? A threshing floor is this huge ground or land where the you know they would bring in their produce from the land, and then the grain would be threshed. They'd be you know trodden upon, and they'd be uh, you know they would be separated the chaff from the wheat. So it's a huge place. So that was a land which David paid money to another king and purchased that land. That is initially a threshing flow. And he says, and the sound of millstone will be heard in you no more. Now a millstone also was part of a temple. Why? Because people would give sacrifice. They would, apart from the animal sacrifice, the bird sacrifice, there also, uh, you can read in the book of Leviticus and Exodus about a grain or cereal sacrifice. So in that the people would offer their wheat their millet, their grains, and that would have to be crushed in a millstone. You know, it's, it's like the crushing of how they would uh, crush the wheat and then they would, uh, uh, you know, uh, take the seeds and that would be given as a cereal offering. So now no one is going to come and offer sacrifice. It means that the temple itself is not there. So who is going to come and offer a sacrifice in your temple? That's why the third thing he says that the sound of millstone will be heard in you no more. This is uh, what you call, you say like, a city that stood for so many things. It was the most happening place, you know, great and mighty things. The entire nation uh, would surround the city of Jerusalem. God was present. He made the ark, he put the ark over there. He said, I will meet you over there in the mercy seat. He designed it, he did everything. But you know how greed took over these people? That even this temple, they turned it into a, you know, a business place. You remember the book of, uh, uh, you know, in Jesus' time, how Jesus gets so angry. I think it was Matthew 21, where he takes a whip of cords, you know, and he chases the people away from the temple. That's the only time that you can see Jesus actually so furious. He was uh, not only angry speaking, like, you know, shouting and screaming. He was in anger in action. He threw the tables away. He toppled up everything that was there, you know. He was so angry. He says, this is a place of worship and you have made it into a den of robbers and he throws them all away from the place that you will not do business here. See, they're doing business everywhere. These people had become so evil that everything for them was now money. They wanted to make money in everything and they did not even spare the temple, the most holiest place that God had given, you know, specific instructions of how to construct it. If you go and read what instructions God gave Moses, Moses was even shown how, you know, it would be like, like when Jesus, uh, when, sorry, Moses climbs up the mountain, meets up with God, and he's there for 40 days and 40 nights. And God gives him the clear blueprint, shows him how it's going to be, and then tells him, you go down, and you have to build this thing. And he gives them length, the breadth, the fabric, the, the pearls that have to be used. That's specific instructions. The entire thing, but so how much it was so precious to him. And now how this pagan nation, this God's true nation, now has joined with pagan nation and has 
completely desecrated this temple, you know. They have completely turned it upside down. So now how God has brought this judgment upon Jerusalem and now which was resounding, this temple which was resounding with praise and worship, there will be no sound of any of that. There were so many craftsmen, you know, who were working around that place. You will not hear that anymore. Then you will not hear the millstone because no one is offering a sacrifice. So it will not be heard in you anymore. And then the fourth is, the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. Which is the lamp that he's talking about? In the Holy of Holies, there is a lamp, a lampstand with seven, you know, seven candles called as the menorah. It's M-E-N-O-R-A-H. It's called the menorah. And that is precious and it is to be burning day and night, signifying the presence of God, Father, God the Father. So he says now, you know, when the Romans came and captured this temple, this lamp was taken away. So that lamp or the light has gone away. So he says, the light of the lamp will shine in you no more. And the fifth, he says, the voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the magnets of the earth and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And what's the voice of the bridegroom and the bride? Who's this bridegroom? Bridegroom is God himself. And who is this bride? Bride is Jerusalem, the virginal bride of, uh, of God, you know, who was the holy nation, the chosen nation, a people set apart to do his work. So now the covenant is broken. The relationship is over. So you will not have, uh, you will not hear God coming and speaking to his people. God spoke to his people again and again and again through the entire Old Testament. You can see how God meets up with people. And, but now this covenant is broken, so you will not hear of God meeting up with this pagan Jerusalem. But later on, we'll read about a new Jerusalem that will come, you know, and that will not defile God, but that will be the one that will be the chosen one in the end of times, okay? So here, the you will not hear the sound of the music, you will not hear any craftsmen, you will not hear the millstone, you will not see the light, the lamp or the menorah shining, then you will not hear the voice of the bridegroom and the bride. Everything is quiet. This has now become, is in, in a way, way saying it is desolate. It is, sorry, it is dead. It is deserted. There is nothing in here. The presence of God has gone. Jerusalem is destroyed. And uh, verse 24, and in you, the last lamentation he ends with is in you was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slaughtered on earth. So it is like giving this uh, uh, final condemnation of Jerusalem. You, you kill the prophets, you kill the apostles, you kill the saints, you martyred them, and your, you know, that's, this land is completely now, you know, it's bad. Because it is, it, the blood of all these people are there soaking in your land and they're crying out to me for judgment and that's why I come against you Jerusalem. So this entire chapter is talking in detail like the wrath has already fallen but in chapter you know 18 and 17 and 18 it's like uh, slowly going through it and like explaining why this has happened, why this, uh, why the city of Jerusalem had to be judged so harshly. And most of this we can understand because the second temple has been destroyed in AD 69-70 after the death of Jesus Christ. It was destroyed completely. So in terms of that, it's very simple to understand. But in terms of the futuristic revelation, the same thing now changes to in a bigger economic political scenario of what will happen to all the nations and all the people who reject Christ. It means how God was so loving of Jerusalem, but then his wrath fell. The same thing would happen here. If people go away from God, they would have to face the wrath of God. Amen. So we come to the end of uh, Revelation chapter 18. I hope it's simple and easy to understand. Maybe sometimes you may have to go back and read it a couple of times, go through each uh, verse, each scripture to get, uh, get more understanding. And... Uh, Praise God. So we're almost close to the end of the book of Revelation. We have only 19, 20, 21 and 22 left, four more chapters. And do keep me in prayer, keep our ministry in prayer.
keep Richard in prayer. He's doing the recording for uh, this session and listening uh, uh, patiently to the teaching over here. So keep him, his family, all our families in your prayer so that uh, we will be able to complete this book of Revelation and it will be available for you to listen and to understand this uh, great book from the Bible. Amen. So can we bow down our heads and we'll pray and close this session. Our Father, we thank you for this time of uh, teaching that you have blessed us with, of teaching us about this uh, city of Jerusalem that was so dear to you, but who completely turned aside and followed pagan gods. Help us a lot to learn from this, O oh Master, that we should remain truthful to you every moment of our life, that let us not fall apart from you. Give us the strength and the courage to overcome every temptation that comes our way, O oh Master, that you should always be the lamp of our life, the light that guards us, protects us, and we should become that light, and we should carry that light into this world and lead people into your kingdom, O oh Master. We thank you, we praise and we glorify you, Lord God. We thank you, Abba Father. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Mama Mary. We thank you, Guardian Angel, and all saints and angels in heaven. We make this prayer in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. <laughs>